John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, reads, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. It's recorded in John 13, verse 36. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. But all these things they will do. And they will do it to you on account of my name. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. (coughs) If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. It's written in Psalms in three different places. In Psalm 35, in Psalm 64, uh, 69, excuse me, in Psalm 109. They hated me without a cause. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for we have grown complacent. We have become accustomed to comfort. And we have chosen the things of this world, the places of this world, the relationships of this world, We have chosen those things instead of You. Everyone in here, everyone without exception, has chosen this world over You. And yet You so graciously chose us. You so graciously refused to leave us in our sin. Rejecting and hating you. When we were your enemies, you died for us. And then you sent your helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and bear witness of you. As Jeffries has said, so you have done in many hearts gathered here in this place. And millions of hearts around the world. You have come with the Spirit and witnessed the truth of the Word of God To our hearts so that we could no longer walk in darkness. But we love the light. It is you who has made us this way. And we thank you for it. We glorify you for it. We take no credit as if we were worthy of this salvation. 
This is your salvation which you have freely given. Not only, as this text says, has the Spirit witnessed in our hearts the truth of your word and your works, but now He has made us witnesses. God, help us to grasp (coughs) your truth from your word through your spirit for your glory. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, God does not believe in coincidence. So neither do I. Two months ago, Trip Skipper called me and said, Hey, I got this man from southern Sudan. He's here for two months. And he, needs, he just needs congregations to speak in front of, to share his testimony, to talk about what God's doing in their country. Um, I know you hadn't met him. Would you eat lunch with me? I said, sure. So we went and ate lunch. And, and from that lunch, Jeffries is here today. And when we, I picked him up in Oxford this morning. And we were riding up, and I was just, we were talking about the service for this morning. I said, well, we got done with all of the things involved, the elements and the order. So he would kind of have that in his mind. I said, you know, Jeffries, I believe God plans everything. And he planned for us this morning, in no coincidence, to be in John 15, verses 18 through 27, which focus on persecution. And so you get to come and be a picture for us of real persecution. I don't know if it it may not set in with you yet. But God is kind to send us a living picture of what it means to lose everything. Home, fortune, education, food, water, clothing, family, friends, organizations, work. Lose everything. And the only reason it's lost is because God chose you out of the world and put His name on you. That's the only reason you lost it. Plenty of us in this life are losing everything because of our stupidity and because of our own sin and because of our own rebellion. And here's a group of people losing everything simply because the Bible is true when it says... A servant is not above its master. His master. And so God, being God, puts the message series together of eight sermons, hands them to us as a church, and says, I'll give you exhibit A so you can meet him. Because he wants us to be ready. Because no one enters the kingdom of God except through trial and tribulation. We may not live to see the day that in the United States, prison camps have been erected and Christians are being hoarded into them like cattle. We might live to see that day, but we might not. 
But there will not be one believer standing in the throne room of God, singing to Him about how worthy He is to receive all glory and all honor and all praise. There won't be one believer in that room, in that place, that's not there through trial and tribulation. There's no exceptions to that. And so if this morning you're lost in this congregation, you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm not here to sell you health, wealth, prosperity, good times. I'm not here to tell you that if you get Jesus, things are going to get good. I'm here to tell you if Christ converts you, if He pulls you out of this world, you will face trial, tribulation, and even persecution before you enter fully into the kingdom of God. You... There's no other way in. This is a little bit of a twist on Jesus' teaching, but I think it's in context. You cannot go through the eye of the needle unless everything that you have is laid aside so that you might be pressed through. The picture Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is not... One of uh, ease, relaxation, comfort. He says rich people will have a hard time coming into the kingdom. The only way they come is by the mercy of God through the eye of the needle. Which I take to mean without anything. Without anything. They leave it all. It's why Jesus, when He called His disciples, didn't say, Hey guys, keep fishing and come see me on the weekends. He said, Leave your lucrative fishing business and follow me. It's why when He went to Matthew, the tax collector, He didn't say, Hey, we're going to need some of that. Pack up that tax you've been charging over and above what Rome charges and bring it with you. We need to party. We need to celebrate. We need some comfort. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew, leave your tax money there and follow me. You can't come to the kingdom of God hands full, arms bulging, backs laden with stuff, with things. It's the same thing he's saying here. You come to me because I've chosen you out of the world and you will face persecution. You will face want. You will face lack. Some of it will be extreme. But none of it should be none of it should be unexpected. Nothing nothing really burdens me more. I shared a little bit about this last week. Nothing nothing really shocks me more. I guess, and saddens me when we as Americans question whether God is God because we've faced hard times. Because 3,000 citizens died in a, in a horrific event in the Trade Center. 3,000 people died. We think, that's horrendous. Where was God when that happened? And Two million of our brothers and sisters in southern Sudan have been slaughtered. 
And I've got a video. If you care to watch it, I can put it up. Of believers in the southern Sudan singing hallelujah, hallelujah, and clapping and joy exuding and children dancing in the face of death. Why? Because they're not coming to Christ expecting better. They're coming to Christ expecting hard times, persecution, and suffering, and then we enter the kingdom of God. You can't get Jesus added on to your good life. You lose your life, so you might have Him. That's what this text is all about, really. And Jesus, because He is so kind to teach us, says, I'm sending the Helper. This is about the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, although it's all about persecution. It's about moving from being blind to being able to see. Jesus' promised Spirit moves us from being blind to being able to see. And I'm going to hopefully draw that around so it makes it clear. But it's all about perception. It's all about what we see and how we see it. And the Holy Spirit is what makes us able to see persecution as a good thing, not a horrendous thing. Not something to question God about, but rather something to praise God about, even, and be joyful through. The Holy Spirit does that. You're sitting there in a pew saying, I couldn't do that. None of us can. In our natural self, in our natural state, nobody says, hey, let me suffer for the next 50 years. Let me be sick. Let my children die. Let my wife get terrible mistreatment at the hands of others. Let my friends be killed. Let my houses be burned. That's a good... Hey, all right. Nobody does that in their flesh. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come. He will witness to you the truth of my words. And then He'll make you a witness. And I'll remind you of what Rod Connor told us. And what is absolutely true. The word witness in the Bible is martyr. These disciples didn't think Jesus was talking about going out on e-visitation. They didn't think He was talking about going to the coffee shop and sitting down and having a philosophical discussion about the existence of God. When they heard, He's going to make you a witness, they understood completely that that meant die. They had the context. We're the ones that missed the context. And so, all I'm trying to say is, you're sitting there now saying, I can't do this. Again, I want to say, you can't. You cannot do it in your own strength. But through the power of the Spirit of God, you can have your eyes open to the beauty of Christ and how this world matters nothing in comparison to Him. Therefore, I will suffer the loss of everything to simply have Him, to have Christ. In John chapter 3, Jesus was teaching Nicodemus about being born again. But in the middle of the conversation, he inserts a description about lost people that I think helps us understand our text even. In John chapter 3, which we stop at verse 16, we only focus on verse 16 usually, but from 17 through the end of the chapter, Jesus focuses on that people love darkness and they don't love the light. 
What he's saying is, they love to be blind. They love to not understand and not see Him. The world loves that. Because ignorance is bliss. Nobody wants to see the speed limit sign on the country road. Although we know statewide it might be 45, we can still plead, I didn't see the sign when we're going 65. And hope the cop says, well, you know, that's all right. I'll let you go this time, don't we? We don't like to see the truth. We don't like to see the standard. That way, we're not accountable, we think, for the standard. Jesus being the standard, the world does not want to see Him. The world does not want to see Him. And so when you hold Jesus up, they hate Him, they hate the Father that sent Him, and they now hate you. Because you are willing to witness of Him. And John chapter 3 really tells us about this. That don't expect that when you turn the light on, they're all going to come running. Oh, let me sign up. Where do I get in? No, they run for darkness. They run for cover. They want to hide. Because the Bible says, Jesus says there, that the light exposes their evil deeds. Why do they not want to see their evil deeds? Because they like ignorance. They want to continue without accountability. Jesus says in John 3, that blind people, far from wanting to be able to see, love their blindness. Ignorance is bliss. They don't want the light. They don't want Christ. And so we move to our text, which he says, He will make us witnesses of Him, martyrs for Him, lights in this dark world. And it will be the cause of the world's hatred. We're going to look at this text quickly together. And I'm, I'm literally, I'm going to repeat the words of the Bible to you as an outline. So, if you get lost or something, just kind of read through and make your own outline. It, it comes right out of the text. Number one, Christians are hated by the world because the world hates Jesus Christ. They don't hate us because we wear, <coughs> because our, our women wear funny clothes and put their hair in a bun. They don't hate us because we refuse to use electricity or drive in motorized vehicles. They're not to hate us because of styles we choose and all of the, all of the like. They're to hate us because we love Christ and they hate Jesus Christ. Sometimes the Christian world, the fundamentalist branch of Christianity especially, gets caught up on the kick of trying to look different. Now, don't hear this wrong. We will look different as Christians, obviously, even in the way we dress. But we don't have to go around trying to look different. We should just be different. When a person leaves the conversation with us, they should say, something's about that guy. I don't know what it is. But he's not like me. He doesn't think like I think. He doesn't react to situations the way I react. Something's different in the way she dresses. Not because she's a weirdo, but because she's obviously making a statement about modesty. Not lack of fashion. 
lack of revelation. They're different. He looks different. He sounds different. He thinks different. She does the same. What is it about those people? They're inquisitive at first. Peter tells us, be ready, be ready at all times to give account for the faith which is in you. They're inquisitive. They want to know, why are you different? The moment you tell them it's about Christ, watch their expression change. Watch their demeanor change. Their body posture often stiffens. And here in the South, it's generally because they claim to be Christians, but they look and act and think and talk just like the world, and now they're convicted either because they are a Christian or because they're being shown to not really be a Christian. So now they're offended at you because you're judgmental, obviously. In other parts of the world, they bristle because they don't want to hear about Christ. They've never heard about Christ and they reject Him completely. Whatever their purpose or motive is, it all comes from the root and the heart of a lack of love for Christ. They hate Him, therefore they will hate you. Christians are hated not because we're supposed to be the weird cousin that comes to the family reunion that everybody makes fun of, but because we look and act and think and talk like Jesus. And they don't like it. They hate it. They despise it. We're hated by the world. Are you hated by the world? Am I hated by the world? That's one of the questions I posed to myself in the study and got just all kinds of conviction about. I don't know that anybody would say they hate me. Because of Christ. Maybe. I hope. But I don't know. I think a lot of people would hate me because I'm a jerk sometimes. Because I come across arrogantly at times. I'm sure people dislike me because of a myriad of things. But do they hate me because I look so much and act so much like Christ? That's a hard one for us, isn't it? It's not as easy as the, the lines are kind of blurry in our culture. In a culture where there's extreme persecution, the lines get real firm, real fast. But in our culture where there's not a lot of physical persecution, it gets blurry. But it's still a reality. The world hates us. They hate everything about us. We're not of the world. That's why the world hates us. That's what verse 19 says. The reason you are hated is not because, again, of who you are as much as it is about who you are with. You even hear people talk this way, don't you? Well, you know... That guy, he's a real good guy. Well, he's a little fanatic about Jesus, but he's a real good guy. I like him other than that, is what they're saying. If he just toned down the Jesus freak stuff, I would like him even more. But he's okay like he is. They don't hate you because of you, because of personality, or because of the way you dress, the way you look, necessarily. They dislike you. They hate you because you're with Christ. It's interesting People who have strong spiritual convictions are not hated in our country. They are not hated. I was uh, watching last night and on, a, on the computer and this commercial kept coming up 
Michelle was watching this commercial kept coming up for Honda about some new age dreaming dreams about resolutions and how to fix problems or some strange thing. Deepak Chopra, the uh, spiritualist, physicist, was on there. He's paraded around as a hero to the world because he's a spiritual man. He doesn't love Jesus, so they love him. But you let any Bible-believing and preaching and teaching and living Christian walk into the room and he's hated for it. Not because he's spiritual, but because of Jesus. The world hates us because we're not of them. We're not like them. Spiritualist, Muslims, Hinduist, Buddhist, all of those things, what Orthodox Jews of our day, they're all of the world system. So they're not hated by the world. They're championed as moral and good and helpful to society in shaping norms and trends. We need them, but we don't need Christians. Why do they hate Christians? Because they hate Christ. The world hates Christ. Christ is not of this world. We're not to be of this world. The world hates us because we're not like them. We're not of them. Our system doesn't fit their system. We are hated by the world because of Christ. Look at verses 20 and 21. We're hated by the world. That's what he says in verse 18. The world hates you. Verse 19, we're hated by the world because we're not of the world. <coughs> because you are not of the world. That's why they hate you. Verses 20 and 21 get to the point of it being about Christ. The world hates you because you're of Christ. That's what it says in verses 20. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. He said that in the context of washing feet. But he is now applied it. John rarely directly quotes anybody in this gospel. He rarely directly quotes Jesus. But he directly quotes the words of Christ here. He emphasizes the importance that we get the point, And the disciples get it. You are not above your master. And so he's applying it to persecution. He says they persecuted me and therefore they will persecute you. Christians are hated by the world because the world hates Jesus Christ. Secondly, in our text, Christians see the work of Christ and believe. Your testimony would be a lot like my testimony, which is a lot like Jeffrey's testimony. It doesn't matter where you come from in the world. The testimony sounds the same. I was living for myself. I was living for the world. I might have been a good guy or a bad guy, whichever one the world had classed me as, but I was living without Christ. And then a text of Scripture was read, or it was written on a piece of paper, which I read, or I was at a hard spot, so I picked up my mom and dad's Bible and started reading, and it jumped off the page and struck me in the heart. And I couldn't resist it. Isn't that your testimony? It might have been when the preacher was preaching. It might have been when you were driving down the road in your car. It might have been when you had just come to the end of your rope because everything else had let you down. Everything else had failed. And you were at the bottom of the barrel contemplating life and death. And at that moment, Christ, through His Spirit, grabbed hold of your heart through His Word. 
And you saw Christ and his words and his works. And you loved him because he had chosen you not to be part of this world. Christian, if you come to services to hear the Bible preached and that reality does not sink in at how amazing and how gracious and how good our God is, may we never lose the wonder of our salvation. We were dead in our trespasses. We were blind to the things of Christ. We were hopeless in this world. And then He struck our heart. And He made us alive. And what had been nonsense and what we had hated and what we had mocked, either openly or inwardly our whole life, now was our life. Only God can do this. Christians see and love the word and works of Christ. Unbelievers are condemned because they have rejected Christ. Look at verse 22. (coughs) If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Be careful there. This isn't the first time they've sinned. They were morally sinful from before they were born. When they were conceived, they were conceived in sin and rebellion against God. What Jesus is saying is that not only have these people been morally wrong, not only have they sinned against God, not only are they His enemy in their actions, but now they actively oppose Jesus Christ. They actively reject the witness of the gospel. They didn't even know about the gospel, maybe. Didn't even know. And then you walked in the living room and sat down and shared the gospel. At that point, the same thing can be said as what Jesus is saying. It's not that they were not sinful. They were sinful. But at the point they hear the gospel, they now will either actively accept or reject that gospel. And in doing that, they will condemn themselves even further. If, if we might think that way for a moment. Why do people go to hell? Because they are violators of God's law and they hate Him. How do they show their hate? They have rejected His Son, Jesus Christ who was given for their sins. People go to hell because they morally deserve to go to hell. God is just. If you never heard the gospel and you died, you deserve to go to hell because you are a sinner. But greater accountability Greater suffering, greater pain awaits those who have heard and actively opposed the gospel. Unbelievers hate God and they hate Jesus Christ. It's not that they're new to sin, but now their sin is inflamed, as Paul says, and they actively oppose. Paul was always a sinner, living a good life, a moral life. And when Jesus, the things of Jesus, 
Don't think he didn't know the gospel before he was saved. He heard it preached just before he killed people. But he actively hated them. He said, until that entered my life, I didn't know. But when I knew, then I exceeded in sin. I kept on sinning. If it was true of covetousness in his life, it was also true, I think, of his hatred of Christ. The more he knew of Christ, the more he hated Christ. The more he opposed Christ until Christ struck his heart. The more he opposed, the more guilty and culpable he was and deserving of hell. And yet God had mercy. You may be here today actively opposing Christ. You may be here today and you've never heard of Christ. That's possible. Either way, without Christ, you deserve hell. And the great thing is he offers his grace and mercy to you through his son. Jesus Christ. Unbelievers hate God in verse 23. Whoever hates my father, whoever hates me, hates my father also. And we're going to see at the end of the passage that the reason they hate us is because they hate the father and they hate Christ. It's all connected. Unbelievers hate God. They hate Christ. It's not that they just, eh, they're just, I'm not sure I want to accept that. I'll pass. No, they hate him. If you're living with someone who is not a believer, they are not a friend of God. And if you love God, in some ways they hate you. And that's why Jesus was clear about the separation that occurs because of the gospel in close relationships. Mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, because of the gospel, will be cut off and separated. Unbelievers are not only morally bad, they hate God. I can't say that enough because one of the things that the false gospel teaches us is that we need to get good so we can get God. You can't get good and get God. I told a group of students at Lionville High School this Friday morning, The worst thing some of you will do is you will leave this gospel presentation and you will try to be a good person. If you will not accept Christ, the best thing you can do is live life to the fullest. The church hasn't taught that kind of gospel. The church has taught, well... Accept Jesus, but second best to that is accept the moral life and live in conformity and dress like we do and act like we do and talk like we do and do the activities we do so you'll be a good guy. Everybody likes a good guy. Last on the totem pole are those who are sinners, really bad people, drug heads, prostitutes, those who run around looking for a fight and brawling all the time. Those people are outcasts. Jesus said, that's the people I came for. And the people most in danger of hell that I'm speaking to are those who think I'm better than that guy because you're a Pharisee. And your goodness is damning you to hell. The best thing you can do if you're going to walk out of this place and hate Jesus is live. Go live. 
Every place in the New Testament where Jesus is talking, He discourages goodness on your own. You whitewash tombs. In the prodigal story, who is reprimanded the hardest? Not the prodigal. He's accepted. He's a Christian. The elder brother is the one who leaves the story unsaved. Jesus' warning Your goodness will send you to hell faster than a prostitute, a drug dealer, or a deadbeat. That offends your morality, and it should. Because the gospel is not morality. The gospel is radical. The gospel says you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. For me, for my name's sake. And so, Christians finally tell of the work of Christ because of the Holy Spirit's revealing work. In verses 26 through 27, (coughs) Jesus ends by saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you so that you will be my witnesses. Look what he says in verse 26 and 27. Look at the order in which he puts it. The Helper is coming. I'm sending Him to you from the Father. Now, Jesus is not trying to teach Trinity doctrine, Trinitarian doctrine here. So let's don't get too deep. But the reality is the Father and the Son send the Spirit to us. We might say the Father sends the Spirit through the Son. He comes to us. And what is His role given in this passage? We've seen other things He does. We will see more which He will do in in chapter 16. But what does He do at the close of 15? Look. He, He will bear witness about Me. What is it that He's witnessing to? The words and works of Christ. In John's Gospel, He chooses... A word, not miracle, but sign and work to speak of the miracles of Christ. It is the same word that is used in the Old Testament to talk about the work of God. Jesus is doing the work of God. That's what the people see and despise and hate is the work of God. The Holy Spirit brings to us the works of God and says, look at them. Jesus is the answer. Look at the creation. I am the creator. And look at my son. He is your savior. The Holy Spirit witnesses that. Not only does he witness to the works of Christ, but the word of Christ. The teachings of Christ. Jesus says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit because he will be a witness to you about me. And then he says, you will witness how will we witness by the power of the Holy Spirit we will witness it comes in several shapes and sizes and forms (coughs) we will witness through our words Some of you will leave here today and you'll have the opportunity today to open the mouth and speak of Christ. 
The Holy Spirit will prompt that. He will empower that. Not only words, but deeds. As Jeffries said. As James tells us. You speak about faith, I will show you my faith. And so we go to the poor and the neglected. To the drug dealer and the prostitute. To the one who is at the very bottom and the one who is at the very top with the same message. The gospel message. This is your hope. This is your salvation. The gospel message. And some of us will witness by our death. Not everybody will witness by their death. Not everyone is privileged to be a martyr for Christ. But some are. You say, well, I couldn't do it. They can't either. But the Holy Spirit can. He can make a Christian stand in the face of death and preach the living gospel of Jesus Christ to his captor, even. I'm sure you caught it. I'm sure you, like me, your ear probably perked up when you heard Jeffries say, we want our Muslim neighbors to know the gospel, Christ. These aren't their friends. These are their enemies by the world's standards. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are witnesses even to their enemies for the name of Christ. And so how do we apply? How do we live this? One application, if I might, for lost men and one for saved. For those who are lost and who've come here, I really want to challenge you to come to Christ. But I'm not asking you to come so that your life might be better. I'm asking you to come because He's the hope of salvation. Without Him, you have no hope. I promise you, no worldly gain. But I do come offering the eternal kingdom of God that will never perish. So if you're here and you're lost, the gospel is the application. Believe, repent, and believe. Repent. Turn from either your goodness or your badness, whichever one you are. Believe. Place your trust, your life, your hope, your security, your everything in Jesus. There's no other way to be saved. You don't need moral improvement. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To the saved. One application. With two questions. Does the world hate you? I mean, I'm asking you to examine your life and think. Does the world hate you? Or do they see you as their friend? As their companion, as their equal? Secondly, 
is your life, your words, your deeds, your death, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I haven't always understood things this way. I'll confess to you. I have not always understood things this way. There was a point in my life where I'm, I'm fairly certain I was a believer, but just young, real raw around the edges. And what I wanted to do was really conquer the world for goodness. I would have made a good freedom rider for some cause. Sometimes some of you probably think I still would. That's okay. I mean, really, I was on the bandwagon of getting people better. And, and it was for good reason, I guess. Good meaning, good heart in it. But it was always wrong. I destroyed some lives. Probably. I hope the Lord has been kind and sent someone with the real gospel because my preaching at one point was all about self-improvement. And I wanted people to have good lives. And you may be in that same boat. I don't want people to have good lives. I want them to have a good eternity which may be contrary to a good life in this life. I want that for myself and my family. I want that for you and for your families and your neighbors. They will persecute you because they first persecuted Christ. No servant is greater than his master. Let's pray together. Father, as we close... We just simply say...